Unleashing Sister Saints, a podcast focused on strengthening women's faith in Jesus Christ and helping them wrestle through the sometimes complex gender and cultural dynamics in the church. I'm Dr. Susan Madsen, a global expert in women and leadership, a mom of four, and a devoted member of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I have to say that I love the word unleash, and I use it often. In each episode, I try to include research and personal experiences of myself and my guests, and also a challenge to help you feel freed to bring your whole self to the Lord's work. Now, before we get started today, I want to thank Julie, who left the following review of Unleashing Sister Saints on Apple Podcasts. She said, Every week I look forward to this podcast as it gives me concrete ideas to build my spirituality and increase my voice as a daughter of God. Julie, thank you so much. We read and really appreciate every review. If you haven't yet rated or reviewed the podcast, take a minute to do so today. And now let's get to our conversation. I'm so honored today to welcome Kelleen Potter and Dr. Lisa Hansen to the show. Welcome to both of you today. Happy to be here. So Kelleen and Dr. Hansen have so graciously joined me to address the difficult but critically important topic of how we as women in the church can better love and support our LGBTQ brothers and sisters and their families. I know this is such a tender topic to so many mothers of LGBTQ children and Kelleen and Dr. Hansen have such beautiful words of encouragement and love that can really help us strengthen and lift women in the church, which is the show's objective. Now, as a brief introduction, Dr. Lisa Hansen is the clinical director and founder of Flourish Therapy, Inc., a behavioral health clinic located in Provo, Utah, with a mission to improve the mental health and well-being of LGBTQ and SSA, which is same-sex attraction, individuals and their families. And she earned her bachelor's, master's, and doctorate degrees from BYU and is an award-winning therapist, speaker, and leader in the community. Her interests in the well-being of LGBTQ and SSA people is informed by her Latter-day Saint faith. And she is a former member of the Tabernacle Choir on Temple Square. And she and her husband have seven children and 18 grandchildren. All right, you've got some posterity going there, Lisa. And Kelleen was the mayor of Heber City from 2018 to 2022, and she lives in Midway, Utah, with her family. So amazing to have both of you here today. Thank you again for joining us. Kelleen, in developing understanding and compassion for LGBTQ individuals and families who love them, it seems that nothing can replace hearing someone's personal story and experience. Can you introduce yourself and your family and share your story as a Latter-day Saint and a mother? of LGBTQ children. Thank you, Susan. I absolutely agree with that. I think if I hadn't experienced my own story, I don't know that I could have believed that it really could happen that way. As you mentioned, I have five children. Currently, their ages are 16 to 26. But we started this journey back when my oldest son was about 14. And we were very active members of the church. I think I was the state primary president at the time. We were just doing all the stuff. I'd been on a mission and all of it. And so it was not on my radar that this could possibly happen in my family. And so as my oldest son, who at the time who started struggling at 12, it was beyond me from how this model citizen, brilliant, beautiful child could start lying and being discouraged and not doing well in school. And I couldn't figure out what was happening with him. And when he was about 14, 
he went to the bishop and told the bishop that he was gay. And unfortunately, the bishop said, you're not gay. The world will tell you you're gay, but you just know that you have these talents like fashion and photography. You just need to hold on to the gospel and you'll be fine. And he didn't tell us. He told a friend and we found out later, but he was very much questioning his value on this earth because of what he'd heard. Fortunately, the narrative and the language we talk about this issue has gotten so much better over just the last 12 years. But he had never heard a nice thing said about gay people in his life. He studied that proclamation and we had those family home evenings and he knew there was something really wrong with him. And of course, he didn't dare to talk about it to us. And when the bishop told him that wasn't true, he went and got his patriarchal blessing. He was so sure that God would understand and he would be able to get some reassurance. And unfortunately, the language in that blessing told him about the woman that he would marry. And it just caused him literally to be suicidal. And around that time, gratefully, I was introduced to Lisa from a friend who was also in graduate school at BYU. And I went to Lisa and told her story. And I was, I couldn't even say the word gay yet. I was very... I just was didn't know what to think. I couldn't imagine this could be happening. And my innocent child, who he'd never done anything, he just knew that was how he felt. So anyway, we started talking to Lisa and he started talking to Lisa. And I still was trying to figure this out, mostly by crying in my closet because I couldn't look outside of church resources because I didn't feel safe. So I was reading a lot of things and I, I knew he didn't choose it and I knew he couldn't change it, but that was all I knew. And I believed that if he kept going to church, I was sure that things would work out. And anyway, briefly over time, Lisa and another therapist said, it's not really helping his inherent spirituality to be in church and hearing that there's something so wrong with him. And there were many things that Lisa taught me. And as we went through this time period, I had to open my heart and my mind that this was a biological variation, not a sinful child, not a deviant, not a mental health problem, but a biological variation that he was born that in a way that I didn't completely understand. So after a few years, I went to a, a retreat with Mama Dragons, and it was a group of about 200 women at the time who wanted to support these children and knew that they weren't thriving. And as I went down there, I thought, well, I'll just figure out how everyone makes it work with the church. And story after story, I thought, they're all struggling. The families are struggling. The kids are struggling. This isn't working. And when I left there, I thought, I've got to do something differently. I can't just expect him to go to church and read all this information. And it opened my heart to learning about this issue and realizing that shame is what was happening here. People feel shame. They feel like there's something wrong with them. Not they didn't do anything wrong. He just felt shame. And people don't race to their highest level when they feel shame. They race to their highest level when they feel love and acceptance for who they are. But you connected with so many women that are feeling intense pain and difficulty, right? It feels like what you're saying is that it was a helpful experience to go and connect with so many other mothers struggling in that same area. There was so much value in having people to talk to that understood what I was going through and were struggling with the same issue. At the time, people were not talking about this. I did not know anyone. I didn't know any moms. I literally was crying in my room a lot because I just didn't know how to help him. And I felt like we were becoming further and further separated. And he didn't even want to live in our home anymore. He ended up moving in with an aunt and uncle in Provo. 
and I really struggled. But when I met with these women and we all started to talk, we supported each other and gave each other strength. And we had someone to say, well, how do you navigate it with this? And, you know, how do you process the grief of losing this image of what you thought your child would be and what your family was going to be? And briefly, after he kind of became more stable after a few years, and I thought things were going a little better, my third child started really struggling. I'm sorry, this cat always wants to be in the middle. My third child was struggling, my beautiful middle child, who at the time, whose name was Jacob, and we didn't know what was happening. And I would say, are you gay? And no, I'm not gay. And went through a lot of struggles again with that child. And ultimately, after five months in primary children's with suicidality, found out that she was struggling with gender dysphoria. She's 22 and beautiful and wonderful and has the most tender heart. Lisa has also helped Faye and all of us in this family try to navigate these things. And it was something I didn't anticipate, but I have, my heart has grown thousand times to less judgment, more love, more understanding, more realization that just because it's not my experience doesn't mean it's not someone else's. And it's such an easier path for me to just choose love and acceptance than it ever was to try and navigate who was right and wrong and in and out and how do I handle those relationships. Thank you so much for sharing your personal story. Lisa, you have developed a very niche expertise as a therapist who serves LGBTQ individuals and their families who identify and belong to the Church of Jesus Christ and other conservative communities. What led you to focus on this demographic? Have you felt a spiritual call to help families and people in this area? Such a good question. I think the spiritual journey that started as a young person with a sort of a manifestation of love from God in a way that overwhelmed my soul and gave me a sense of what God was like for me and my assumption of what God was like for everyone shifted me from feeling like the path to God was eliminating things about us to finding out how to use what's true about us, especially things that we find we can't change. And as I recognized that as a whole, people who identified outside of being straight and cisgender were not finding a place of belonging, usefulness, mentorship, connection, future, contribution, all of these things were not on the radar for them. It became apparent that their active participation, which I never discourage, but was becoming a source of pain, disconnection, and lack of future. And we know that thwarted belonging and a feeling of burdensomeness are what research tells us contributes to suicidality. These things were extremely prevalent. Felt like a good place to offer some acceptance and understanding and to help start bringing people together. So I want to clarify that the work I'm doing is nonprofit. Since I'm a straight cisgender person, I want to be certain that people understand I'm not trying to make a living on the backs of people who are suffering. <laughs> It is a work in which I make very little. What I earn is about 12000 a year for administrating this. This is what we do. The 50 therapists that work at Flourish Therapy are also concerned about this very same thing. And our therapists are uh, gay, bisexual, lesbian, transgender, pansexual, as well as some straight cisgender people. And all of us have some DLDS experience. And I'm still active in my ward, and, but certainly understand. This is a painful experience for people who have a family member that does not feel like they belong. 
for themselves trying to manage, but that compassion and empathy for your own child or the person that you deeply love, that's got to be tough. Real quick, before I move over to the next question, we're going to get to specifics a little bit later, but just starting out, what do you wish every day that Latter-day Saints and our leaders would understand about the perspective you have in this space? That the very long arc of history with God's people has been one of not making room for people who are different starting thousands of years ago and only gradually understanding what God's purpose is for people with disabilities, for example, who were not participating in covenants and ordinances a long time ago, to people who were uh, not at the House of Israel, who were not participating even during the time of Christ, that the expansiveness of God is waiting for us in the same way as President Kimball described that he had to wait for people to be ready before the 1978 revelation could be given. And that God is likely waiting for us to be ready. Thank you so much. And I want to ask this question to both of you, this next question. What would you say to women who are just beginning this journey as a mother to an LGBTQ child? So what would you say to them? And then also, where can they find support? Colleen? Well, first, I would say, listen to your child. I made a lot of mistakes, and I've learned and tried and apologized, but not just listen, but trust that child. Like when my 12-year-old child was telling me he wanted to go to a photo shoot where they put temporary tattoos that said, I am equal, I was afraid. I'm like, who are those people, and why does he want to go there? Back in the day, I was just so silly. But anyway, listen and trust and love. And I know no one could have convinced me that I didn't love that child with my entire heart. I was 30 years old when I had him. He was everything to me. But my love has shifted as I learned more about him and accepted who he really is and was able to say, this is his story. And there's a beautiful rainbow of differences that God has created. And the more that I can understand other stories like his, it just helped me to love him even more. I think it's important to let go of all the things we think we know about this issue. Some things, even the church has shifted the narrative. Like I mentioned, I, I only knew the miracle of forgiveness and some things I'd heard. And I, I understand now that that wasn't some of those things I believed were not accurate. So that's helpful. There's a lot of resources. I would encourage resources both in and out of the church and talk to LGBT people who are in and out of the church. It's a different experience for everybody. For my son, it was not possible for him to stay in the church. He wanted to, but it was hurting him because he felt so shameful and so different. And different places are different within the church. We all know some wards are different. And so it just depends on what works for them. You really grew from learning. I mean, listening, learning how to listen. We are so programmed to judge. You know, I teach unconscious bias. We're totally, mm -hmm. we judge, judge, judge. Yeah. But you're saying listen and then learn, right? It felt like just watching your face. I know that our listeners can't see your face, but it felt like the more you learned, the more you actually were able to lift really? yourself and your son. That's Absolutely. And really at the end of the day, the more that I learned, the more, whether it was data, whether it was talking to a therapist like Lisa, whether it was hearing stories, you know, there's so many things now on the internet where you can just hear David Archuleta. I mean, hear these people bear their hearts about how hard they've tried. I've sat with many people and heard these stories. 
all I can do is, I remember it hitting me. I was out for a walk and my thought was, I don't know what he's accountable for or my daughter. I know what I'm accountable for. I'm accountable to do what Jesus taught me. And that was to love regardless of anything. And I find it so fulfilling to be able to just love everyone. I was in such a judgmental place where I was always trying to weigh things out. And really, that's my biggest takeaway from everything is to just love and welcome people into my heart. The sooner you can do that and trust that your child has that internal spirituality and can also hear spiritual guidance from their higher self, from God, from the spirit about what's best for them. And if we can trust them and love them, it will just make the whole thing much easier to navigate. I love that. And Lisa, you do this probably every week or every day, even in terms of what do you say to women who are just beginning the journey? What would you say? Well, what Kellyan said is just beautiful. But I would also say your feelings, mom, dad, matter so much. Your grief is understandable, given what you've learned in the gospel about what eternal families are supposed to mean to us and what your eternal responsibility seems to mean. And your child should not be the person that you talk to about these feelings and follow what Kellyn has suggested about your child. Your child hearing your feelings is likely to decide they need to erase their own, decide they need to dismiss their own, or start deceiving you about themselves. And in order to keep a good relationship, the flow of listening and learning needs to go just as Colleen has described it. And you, mom, there are a number of wonderful resources for people just beginning the journey. The, the Listen, Learn, and Love podcast by Richard Osler, the Lift and Love website with all of its resources, fantastic for LDS parents. There are amazing videos still up on the LDS I'll Walk With You website, so many places that parents can learn. Mama Dragons has a, a parachute program for, for moms, especially it, helpful for parents of children with gender identity questions, which sometimes it's even harder to find resources for. And it's more of a panic for parents who have children who are questioning their identity. Thank you. There's so one much. other resource, the Family Acceptance Project, I wanted to mention. I didn't know about that in the beginning, but they did a specific LDS pamphlet you can find on the internet showing the data and some of the things that as parents, intuitively for me, I thought we'll keep them away from that, but that was the wrong thing. And so sometimes we just need a little more information because we think we know, and then there's information out there that says, oh, wait a minute, you probably need to do things a little bit differently to support your child in this situation. I've never seen a parent go wrong by using the Family Acceptance Project materials, even though people are afraid because they weren't put out by the church. Oh, thank you so much. And, you know, I think even though you said I've made mistakes, you know, these things that you're inferring, sometimes we just have to give ourselves grace. We do the best we can with the information, but if we can get to the learning quicker, and wow, a lot has changed, and it's 12 years, Kelleen? Correct. Yeah, in that 12 years specifically. So Lisa, and but maybe both of you have comments about this. I have talked to so many parents, mothers of LGBTQ that have struggled with that balance of church activity and then loving and accepting that children. There's a wrestle for some folks that I've talked to. Yeah. What's some counsel that you have 
would recommend, Lisa, for the parents, I guess is what I'm saying, of LGBTQ kids? I think it's helpful to remember that at church, we have people at a variety of levels of faith and understanding, and that there are people who come to church because uh, looking at the gospel through a certain lens of how to keep the commandments has actually created safety and help for them. And that sometimes we give them space to talk, but we don't actually have to absorb everything they say. Mm -hmm. If our understanding of faith in the gospel is, as Killing so beautifully described, about the love that the Savior says will define us. And so if we want to keep trying to be there, it has to be from a place of allowing other people to be where they are. Mm -hmm. And we are on our own journey that we hope is used to us, even if others are not of use if it's not used to others sometimes. And of course, it always will be. There will be someone who's listening. But we can to always have the strength and the resilience to be there. I think it's helpful to remember that Alma and Amulek were talking to people who did not feel like they were welcome in a synagogue and that God was still with them too. I think it's helpful to look at the scriptures through the lens of people who did not belong. It's there throughout. I think that can help a person maintain some kind of connection if they would like to, when they feel like there's really no place for them. When from the time they were little, there was a place for them in primary. It's such a hard, stark feeling yeah. to feel like their own experience is no longer central. Yeah. And, oh, you know, even though that's challenging, I think it's a skill that we can develop, not just for this topic, but I haven't experienced LGBTQ kids of my own, but I have experienced every single one of my kids leaving the church and some other experiences that I took so personally at first. And I'm still developing that skill of being able to show up in a space and listen and not listen, kind of have it outside of me, not in me. Is that making sense? I don't know how to describe that. As an, yeah, as an observer rather than as Yes. An and so I've been a bit better on not taking offense to at things. And don't you think that's a skill? You just have to practice? Oh, you're yes. laughing, Lisa. It depends on the level of toxicity that we're used to absorbing. Mm. And it can be learned, yes, but... For some people, it's like, I'm not going to be able to learn very well when I'm oh. so full of poison. <laughs> so, That's yeah, true. Exactly. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> Kelleen, were you going to say something? You were smiling. <laughs> I was just going to say, I remember once Lisa saying, if they could feel God's love, we couldn't keep them away. And I've meant uh -huh. I've did that many times because I do think anyone who comes to that space in the church and feels truly feels God's love and feels valued exactly as they are, you couldn't keep them away from church. And that's not always the case. And we're, that's where we're all learning. We're all trying to be better at that kind of love. But I think God is completely understanding when people yep. are not able to be in that space. And as a parent, it's hard. You feel a conflict. You feel like at first I have to choose between my child and the church. Like sometimes it feels that way. It's not that way. Yeah, It really feels that way because there is some conflict with who our child is and what we think they're supposed to be. And when we can turn that over and just let God handle that and just love them, it just makes it easier as a parent. And I love that because that comes across to me as hope. Yes. I mean, it's not all or nothing. It's hope. And Lisa, I would think in your practice and with your influence, that's got to be a foundation of trying to share messages of hope 
to these parents and these children as well. Yes, and to let them know that the best hope is by maintaining a relationship mm. rather than by maintaining, we know the path and you're not on it. And being careful not to dismiss what your child is telling you about what they want their path to look like. That's perhaps the most important question a parent could be open to is, what does your best life look like now? And how is that shifting? And how can we support you at that? So hard for parents who had for at least a decade or more a sense of what the path of happiness is to be able to ask and trust a child, as Kalina's described, is the most important shift. Thank you so much. And what, as a person that doesn't have an LGBTQ kid, right, how can I or people like me better rally around families in this space and not all around the, I'm so sorry for your, but I don't know, how do we do better? How can we support? Kathleen, let's start with you. You know, I remember at one point I said to a friend, I said, you know, I was teaching gospel doctrine and I hadn't talked about my child being gay and it was years and years. And I finally, I'd been to a funeral. I was just like bursting with, we have to do better or the house is on fire. And I mentioned it in gospel doctrine. And it was a lesson about all our like unto God. And I'm mentioning it and saying, we need to be more loving. And people just like, wouldn't even look at me. And I remember thinking, you know, if my kid had cancer or if they'd been in an accident, people would have just loved me right up because we're so good at it in the church. We're so good at loving and supporting, but that wasn't an acceptable trial. And I'm sure it's, I know it's getting better, but at the time, but I think sometimes it would be good to look at those people's children or people that don't come as refugees. We don't understand why they can't be here, but they can't be here. And we still want to love them. We've known these children and these families for years. And sometimes if they don't attend the meetings, they disappear from existence in our world. And so to continue to show love and maybe just say something once in a while that we love you. We don't understand entirely what you're going through, but we love your children and we love you and we wish you the best means a lot to someone who's going wow. through something like that. So not just stay away or hide, no. but actually just love. I think that you're saying that that's what you've learned through the years is to just have to move away all the noise sometimes and just yeah. look and listen and love. I love that. Lisa, and and we think we don't know what to say. Just say, I, I don't know what to say, but I do love you and I care about you and your family. People have done that and it just means the world to me To And other people don't, but I, you know, we're all learning how to love each other better through different things. And that would be a big one for me. Thank you. Lisa, comments? Yeah, if you have the bandwidth, it's also helpful to say, how's your child doing? rather than uh, something that implies judgment, being open to it. And then how are you doing with this? So that sometimes parents are at a place of really hard, edgy judgment themselves, and they don't want somebody telling them, oh, your child, this, they aren't ready for it. Sometimes they're at a place of exploration and they want somebody to be open to them. If you really have time, how are you doing is a wonderful question. I love that. Let's go back to brought up just a minute ago that hope. Colleen, how did you move from mourning and grieving the loss of the child and family that you envisioned as a young mom, right? We all envision and life for most of us doesn't go exactly how we've envisioned. How did you move from that, you know, shift? And maybe you're not perfectly there, but you're in that journey. 
Yeah. Give us some of your advice. Yeah. I have a picture of my family. We adopted our youngest daughter from China. And when she was sealed to our family, we have this picture of all my sweet little kids outside in their temple clothes. And I just thought that would just be the way it kept going. And then when they were adults, they'd have their families and we'd all be at the temple. And obviously that isn't how it went. But however, I remember one day, again, one of those things that just hit me and I thought, I'm not going to live my life in sadness and, oh, poor me and what a trial. And I didn't get to have my plan A. I just thought, you know what, for whatever reason, this is my plan A. This is what God has given me for my highest and best learning and for what I can do to either contribute or learn. And I cannot tell you how grateful I am. I never thought I would say I'm grateful. I am so grateful for these beautiful children and what they've taught me about what it really means to love someone. It's easy to love people who think the way we do, who look the way we do, who agree with everything we say. But when you find someone who is so different that you can't even begin to wrap your brain around it and learn how to really, truly love them, not just tolerate them or be okay with mm -hmm. them, but to really embrace and love them. That is a life lesson for me that forever be grateful for my kids setting me off on that path. Oh, I love that. Lisa. I'm just basking in the wow of what I've just heard. I know she is amazing. Isn't she? And, and, uh, and you've done counseling too. So I'm sure you've been part of that journey that Colleen has gone on. So. Well, I have certainly felt that I am deeply grateful for this way of understanding what love is. It's allowed me to love myself better as well. Uh, this using what cannot be changed as a conduit to God rather than as a seeing it as a barrier has changed my life too. I think because God sent us here as imperfect people, we often get the sense probably from the Sermon on the Mount that the point really is to be perfect and eliminate the things that seem to us to not be godlike. And yet I think the path really is to take the things, as Colleen's described, that are in our lives and find God in them and find God's message to us through them that this is the path of holiness. That is profound. Thank you so much. One more question for both of you and then any final thoughts. But how can we lay complex challenges like sexuality and gender identity at the Savior's feet? How can we resist judgment and just love others, which we are really all truly called to do? Uh, that's a big question, Colleen. <laughs> I'll go yeah. to you first. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> I believe that we grow up and we learn things and we think we understand, you know, who's right and who's wrong. And we have, like you talked about, confirmation bias, where we think things are supposed to be a certain way. And at some point, things happen that bring us to our knees. And there's nothing more humbling and sacred, I think, than having a child and to be a member of this church who doesn't seem to fit because it's all about family and we all want to be together. And so that was the only way I could navigate it was stories change hearts. And it wasn't until I heard my child's story till I heard all these other mama dragon stories and started to feel the humanity of people who have this, I call them the biological variation. That's yeah. just the best way because I don't think it's a sin or even a trial. I think it's something different that Maybe the trial is for those of us who don't understand. Maybe it's about us really learning how to love. But to me, to feel the peace, I can't tell you how many stories of mom and dragons I've heard who have gone to the temple and over and over again. And it's just very clear 
just love. And it's not make sure your child gets to church every week. And if they can just get them on a mission, it's just love them. And for me to be able to listen, I mean, even the Savior's words, I didn't hear the Savior say one thing about LGBT issues. I heard the Savior go to the people who were the farthest on the edges and tell the church leaders, hey, you know, back off a little bit and tell these people and show the love for them. And that's my North Star, our beautiful words and actions of our Savior, who taught us that it's not our job. He told them, you don't have any sins. You can cast a stone. Well, I'm certainly not a person that has no sin. I don't know that there's anyone who can be casting stones under those standards. So to me, I find it to be so much easier and refreshing to just let that go and go, it's not my job to judge. It's not my job to make sure they're on the right path. It's not my job to keep people out of my home who aren't living certain standards. It's my job to love as radically and openly and loud as I can. And that's what I feel like the Savior has taught me. Oh, man, that was profound, too. Thank you so much for sharing that. And uh, Lisa, please share. You wrestle in the space and counsel and, and all of those things. Again, how can we lay complex challenges like these and others just at the Savior's feet? Well, let me start by saying I think it's important to overcome the fear of associating with gay, lesbian, bisexual, mm -hmm. transgender people. Just like there are many people who might be afraid of associating with people who call themselves Mormons or LDS, there's such a wide spectrum of yes. political and lifestyle ways of being for people who call themselves that. There's also a wide range of ways of being in what we call loosely the gay and transgender community. And it's really important to begin to get to know people, yes. not just the public face of organizations. And when we start to do this, then we start to recognize that these are also children of God who are very much like us. And I think that's what the Savior intended, was for us to learn that people who seem different in a Christ state was people who were not circumcised or people who had disabilities or, or Samaritans or people who were lepers, that they were all pushed away. We don't want to get to know them. And in our day, it's important that we get to know both refugees and the gay community and transgender community. And as we do this, then we can say, okay, if I believe in that God has a plan for this world, I believe that these are not just the harbingers of evil on the earth, which is a way of not looking at people in a Christ-like way. And then we can say, actually, God has a purpose for people on the earth. And as Colleen has said, maybe my purpose is to get to know these people and how God might have them fit in his plan. Then I can lay this completely at Jesus' feet and not feel like it's mine to fix. Thank you so much. And wow, Lisa, that aligns so much with the research. I've been studying unconscious bias for so many years and teach it. But that's the one thing. If you don't spend time, if you don't listen, if you don't actually, I mean, the more time you spend, actually, the more you understand and can become less judgmental. And we are asked to not judge. <laughs> so it's funny because we all judge. I mean, it's so natural, yet we're fighting with the natural man to be more Christ-like, and that includes not judging. Kelleen, I'm going to ask you the last quick question, and that is, if you could think of one challenge to give to my listeners for this week, just one little thing that they could do this week, what would you say? 
I would say, listen to the story of someone in the LGBTQ community and try to hear their heart, especially someone who has actually stepped away from the church and how they've struggled with it, whether it's a podcast or someone you know in real life, try to hear and feel what was in their heart as they went through this journey. Thank you so much to both of you for being on this show today. For all of you listeners, please follow Unleashing Sister Saints on Facebook and Instagram for more information and to stay up to date. And I just appreciate you listening to this podcast, Unleashing Sister Saints. So this is Dr. Susan Madsen, and I'm devoted to unleashing the positive impact of Sister Saints on the world. Thank you. <music>